Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, and Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When we talk about the various sectors of our economy, we're also talking about divisions in our society. Arts, science, business, investment, and social sciences are separate pursuits But there's one occupation that brings all these disparate elements together and in a way that touches all of us, and that's architecture. Designing is an art, engineering and construction is science, financing projects is business. And the impact of buildings on how we live plays a major influence in our lives as individuals, families, and as a community. My out-to-lunch guests today are architects who are having some considerable influence on how we are living in 21st century New Orleans. Angela O'Byrne is president of Perez, a 100% woman and minority-owned business that includes, among its strengths, architecture, construction, real estate development. Headquartered in New Orleans, under Angela's leadership, Perez now has 14 offices nationwide from L.A. to New York. Locally, among a myriad of other projects, Angela's company has reimagined public housing, is redesigning terminals for a new airport, and creating a blueprint for the rebirth of the West End. Uh, Angela O'Byrne, welcome out to lunch. Good to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. My other guest is one of the authors of The Transformation of Downtown New Orleans. Marcel Wisnia is the president of the architecture and development company that bears his name, Wisnia. Under the leadership of Wisnia, the person, Wisnia, the company, among other projects, have brought downtown buildings like the Saratoga, the Maritime, and Union Lofts and transformed them into living spaces, creating a community of now over 5,000 downtown dwellers and spurring the opening of a host of new businesses. Uh, Marcel Wisnia, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. I've admired your work from afar. This, this, is a, this is great. Now, I'm going to start off with both of you. Marcel, Angela, I want to get to all your various projects and talk about the changing face of New Orleans that you're both instrumental in fashioning. But first, I want to follow on from the introduction. It's so unusual to find all the skills in one person that you need to be able to do when in this business. I mean, creative design, engineering, making big, sometimes brave, visionary real estate deals, managing multi-million dollar budgets. Do you start out being predominantly good at one of these skills and learn the rest, or do you simply have to start out being a renaissance person to succeed at your level in architecture today? Great question. I started out as an architect. Then I uh, became a developer and builder. And that was 30, more than 30 years ago, and realized that I need to learn more about finance in order to do that aspect of, of the business. I love design. I started in design, but, you know, I live in the real world, so you got to deal with schedules and budgets. So I moved to New York City and got a master's degree in real estate development at Columbia University, and then actually worked on Wall Street as a uh, housing bond issuer. So I learned lots more wow. about finance. So I feel like I'm still a work in progress, right? I'm evolving, and I came back to my first love, which is architecture, and uh, have 
really, I'm a licensed architect, licensed builder, and have this degree in real estate development, and I love all three, so I, I so want to keep found, doing all three. You found a gap and went out and filled it. I mean, the, the Correct. Part you were, Felt so like I needed to learn more. That is, that is terrific. And, um, and Marcel, you're both actually graduates of Tulane Architecture, right? Is, uh, Correct. Correct. Uh, Marcel, what about you? Uh, you? Well, I'm the second generation in a family practice. It was founded in Texas in 1947. My father was uh, really an early pioneer as an architect and real estate developer. What's interesting to me is that he would have developers come to him early in his own career and say, I've got this great idea for a project and I need some architectural help. Now, I can't afford to pay you, but if the project becomes real, you'll get the commission. And my father was smart enough to sit back and say to himself, maybe it makes some sense to play that role myself. And so early in the, in the, in the 1950s, uh, and then through his career, he passed away in 2004, he focused part of his uh, practice on real estate development. When I graduated from Tulane in 1973, I didn't want to go back to Texas and be the boss's son. <laughs> I wasn't uh, mature enough and was probably too idealistic to go work for anyone, so I opened my own practice uh, right out of college, and this year uh, makes 40 years of continuous practice. About 10 years into that uh, period, um, my father and I ended up merging our practices as two profit centers of the same company. And in doing so, it gave me a mentor on the real estate development side. Over the last 10 years, I've grown to realize that the only part of the profession that I really enjoyed was wearing both the hats, the hat of the architect and the hat of the real estate developer. Right. And so I have just morphed our practice into a full-time development and design practice where we, today we do no outside work. Architecturally, our work is only for ourselves. And then one of the things, I look back at your, your dad's company and also your early work, you were doing new construction and now you're almost entirely in what, historic restoration? And it, 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 uh, I can't use the word comical, but it's amusing. Um, growing up the son of a very modern architect, uh, my father, even though he was European born and raised, had no sense of history at all. And if a building was old, you tear it down and you build something new. <laughs> kind of like Vegas. And, uh, yeah, kind of like <laughs> Vegas, exactly. And uh, so that's what I grew up with. So living in a city like New Orleans I, and being a modernist, uh, I really didn't have the sensitivity for the old buildings. But when I started moving more and more onto the development side and understood the tools that are out there to take these older buildings and put them back into commerce, it allowed me to open my eyes and to really see the beauty of these older buildings. So today I really have a completely different view of what the fabric of a city should be. And, uh, and I still have not morphed away from being a modernist. I believe like European architects have done for many, many years, you can do modern interiors in historic buildings. Would you agree, Marcel, that there's a huge trend nationwide and worldwide, I think, towards people leaving the suburbs and coming more towards, towards cities? I don't think it's a cycle. Uh, I think it's here to stay. I think people today uh, uh, really respect uh, what little free time they have and they're unwilling to give it up in commuting. Doesn't exactly. mean that the suburbs are dead, uh, but people today have got to focus on working where they live and living where they work. Uh, and in doing so, uh, if you live in the suburbs, that's fine, then, then seek employment. 
you know, close to home. This took some vision. I mean, 30 years ago, we didn't have a lot of people live downtown. And when you looked at the and people like me that aren't in your business, looked at the the stock of uh, of buildings, it didn't look too promising. But you have a different eye, and you saw that there was really something there. Absolutely. Um, and I, in addition to the walkability that we just mentioned, I think people want access to the, the cultural institutions, right? Live music, live theater, museums, that sort of thing, within easy reach. So they don't have to live in their cars half the time yeah. to get to these events and things. I bet, th I bet that's true. Now, you've, uh, now yours, uh, your, uh, your buildings uh, have been mainly, let's see, Marcel, they've been kind of CBD. Is that kind of where I should be thinking? Correct. Yes. And uh, and your new project, uh, the one you're just, just working on the garage, where will that be? In the same area? Or? Well, it'll be in the warehouse district. So it's on Carondelet Street, right at Julia, and it's an old parking garage. Actually, it was an old car dealership. Those people that were well, the old Buick, right? It's the old uh, Stevens. It was initially a Buick dealership, and then a Chevrolet. People oh. would know it as Stevens Chevrolet. And it's been vacant for 15 or 20 years. And so what we're doing and really what the resurrection of this city is, is a repurposing of buildings that are either unused or underused into different uses. In this case, we're taking a parking garage and we're turning, turning it into a mixed use development. It'll have ground floor commercial. It'll have the second, third and fourth floors will be 51 apartments. And then we're adding 10 condominiums on the roof. Now, what makes it so unique is that we're taking out all the car ramps in this, in this garage, and we're adding two car elevators. So if you live there and you come home by car, you drive your car into an elevator, takes you up to the floor that you live on, the second door opens, you drive out, and you park on the same floor that you live on. So if there's any inconvenience in downtown living or urban living, it's let's say you go to the grocery store and let's say you drive to the grocery store. Although in downtown New Orleans, you can walk because that we new, have a wonderful downtown. The Rouse's really is doing everything. very, yeah. very well. But if you, if, you're, if you have groceries in your trunk, then you have to take them out of your trunk, leave them at the front door, the ground floor of your development, go park your car and then, and then proceed back and move them up to your apartment. In this case, you literally don't take them out of your trunk until you're virtually at your front door. Now that being said, I'm a big proponent of downtown living without a car. Uh, and so in life you sell what you have. In the case of Stevens Garage, we will have parking. So we say to people, oh, you're not ready to give up your car yet? We've got the perfect place for you. <laughs> But otherwise, only about 60% of our tenants and our other developments own automobiles. Wow. Now, you know, is there a model for New Orleans? Are there some, are there are a couple of cities that you think are a little ahead of us at this point that we'll begin to look more like? I, uh, I brought the family to uh, Portland, Oregon last summer, and that was a very, uh, weren't very many cars and things like that. Is there some city you think that will resemble? Oh, gosh, I, I, I'll let Marcelo pine on that. But I do think that every major city is showing similar trends. And, and some are ahead of us and maybe some are behind us in terms of the, uh, that trend of moving towards the inner city. I think Portland is a good example. Seattle, 
San Francisco, Boston, New York, I mean, on and on. Even Houston's getting greener and denser at, at its center. You know, I have a former student that works in Houston, and um, he lives downtown. He, it's about five years ago when nobody lived downtown. He said it was so unusual his boss would introduce him to clients as, uh, and this is my associate, Tony. Uh, Tony lives downtown, like he was some sort of freak show or something, you yeah. know, but now that's the way it's Houston going. Houston has transformed its downtown for the better. It's yeah. greener and it's, you know, beautiful new buildings. It's just fabulous. Well, that is, uh... well I, I agree. I think Portland is a great example. I think that Pearl District, which is the area you're probably referencing, yeah. which is like our warehouse district, is wonderful. What they have accomplished that we haven't yet accomplished is they've got the type of retailers that we're still seeking. And it's all a quality of life uh, issue or experience. And so we're, we're, um, we're succeeding with parts of it and, and parts of, that, the, of, of, of it are still to come. And if you look at uh, projects like the South Market project, which will have a huge um, retail component, it's going to be an asset for all of downtown New Orleans. And you know what I see with not an architecture background is we had so much surface parking and it seems like little by little that's being taken up with real building. It always was kind of an eyesore, it seemed, uh, when you looked at the city. And uh, this, is, this is terrific. That is a, and you are taking on, uh, Angela, that I was very impressed with is an area I love that, you know, of course, was decimated in the hurricane is the West End. Uh, what will that look like or what, what are your hopes there? Well, the Regional Planning Commission hired us to do a vision for the, the, that end of West End, right, which is a lovely area. I mean, it's surrounded by water. It has lots of natural assets and amenities. And uh, the idea is to put a, mix, a mixed-use community there that will contain retail and residential and, you know, maybe some live workspace, uh, like what Marcel is talking about, where people can have their office and their home, you know, maybe the home above the office kind of thing. That is, that's going to be, makes you want to stick around listening to Absolutely. you two folks. And, 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 lots of, and lots of green space, too. Good. That's all, that's all part of the equation. It's time to do the checklist, and that's where we... Part of the show, we take a little break and ask you a question you probably wouldn't find on a on a loan application. So I'm going to start with uh, start with um, I think I'll start with Marcel and just ask you what is unusual about the culture of your company, uh, the folks that work there, and the way you interact. Um, I think we're uh, we're we're small enough that we're a family. So the culture really is uh, is like a family. And uh, what's interesting is that. Uh, we have people on the architectural side that are becoming better architects because of the development team that we have. And, we, and our development team, I think, are better developers because they listen and office uh, share with an architectural community. So I think the combination of the two, basically in one studio space, makes each one of our staff members unique in the marketplace. Some firms, are they kind of at loggerheads? I mean, just the nature of those two, two roles? Well, often, I mean, there are not many architects that are real estate developers. So, so the architect typically works for a developer. And the developer is, um, is not necessarily uh, respected or appreciated because the adage is that all the, the developer wants to do is cut corners and make a lot of money. I teach in the business school. That is not really a bad thing to be accused of. <laughs> they, uh, but I, uh, Angela, let me ask you a question. That's when you great. were a child, uh, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? I mean, were you that kid? 
Uh, gosh, that's a funny question. I'm trying to remember. I did a lot of babysitting and corn detasseling on farms, but uh, corn detasseling. Yes, believe it or not. Where we, was this? Briefly, this was we lived in Minnesota when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people always laugh when I say that. But <laughs> my first two jobs in life. But I do recall when I was about 10 years old starting something called the Get Involved Club, which is pretty funny to get all my my friends, you know, boys and girls in my class to get involved doing whatever, whatever was good and needed to be done in the, in the community or in the school or whatever. Yeah, so that was a leadership. So I think I had uh, a little bit of that uh, gene in me. And of course, in my family, lots of business owners, all my siblings own businesses except one. I'm one of five kids and, and my father did. And so, and so going back generations, I would say, yeah, on both sides, my mother and father's side. So lots of uh, So we don't know if it was genetic or environmental, probably both. Both, yeah. <laughs> Let's check the inbox, and that's where the producer uh, picks a question that's come in over the past week from a listener. Um, Grant, what have you got? Peter, to say we had an active Twitter feed this week would be an understatement. <laughs> Let's start off uh, with Marcel. I'll ask you this question. It came in on Twitter from Patrick Rafferty. He just wants to know, what is the future of the Plaza Tower, and how will it affect the development of the South Market District? Well, I think uh, Plaza Tower... Uh, all of a sudden has a future where um, prior to this time it probably didn't because um, of its age and its location. Uh, it was sitting on the edge of the downtown. Uh, there's some advantages to that. It's like instead of being in the middle of the forest, you're, at the, you're outside of the forest viewing in. But that being said, I think um, it sat on an island by itself. So South Market with its six to 700 dwelling units and 150,000 plus square feet of, of uh, commercial space I, uh, in close proximity to Plaza Towers, I think will blend it back into the downtown as opposed to having it separated. Now that being said, one of the tools that we have been successful and others have been successful in using in uh, rebuilding downtown New Orleans is historic tax credits. And now this building has just turned 50 years old, which means it will qualify for those credits, which gives it uh, economic tools that it didn't previously have, and I think gives those owners and developers an oppor a real opportunity to put that building back into commerce. And Marcel, when you just give the listeners some perspective, this South Market, this is the one that's right next to the Energy Center? Is that kind of... Uh, it's going to be a four or five block area. Wow. It's taking many of those... Um, uh, surface parking lots that you were describing and uh, putting them back into commerce. It is going to have ground floor retail and four floors of residential above that. So well, That's a big project. Uh, well, the f I think the first and second phases are under construction right now. We have nothing to do with it. We're just watching it, but uh, you know, in many ways, uh, one of the uniquenesses about New Orleans post-Hurricane Katrina is that uh, competitors become colleagues uh, and uh, high tide floats all boats. So we, we certainly want to see them succeed. We think as we all together begin to build critical mass in our downtown, this is an important piece of that puzzle. Angela, here's a question for you. Your company Perez's proposed development downtown on the river at Holy Cross is extremely controversial apparently. A number of questions have come in about that. Pres mostly from uh, people called Ed Tiller the Pun, M. Morel Ensminger, and a couple of others. They're basically asking about this one from Ed Tiller the Pun, why even submit height proposals that are double the allowed height along the river? 
And from Rev. Melanie Nola says, why do you think it's a good thing to ignore established height restrictions when developing? Okay, great question. Okay, the, the Perez plan, as it's currently proposed for the Holy Cross High School redevelopment, was designed with, uh, under the watchful eye of and the advice of the Historic District Landmarks Commission and the City Planning Commission staff of both agencies, all of whom are experts, they're planners and architects, and, and that includes the height and density as we've proposed it. When we started the project, we actually were much higher. I believe we were at 13 floors, and uh, it was many iterations ago, so I'm trying to remember, 13 floors and twice the number of units we're proposing now. So in response to the some community opposition, we did bring it down to uh, two f two, most of it's two stories, some is four stories, and at the high point near the river, we go out to seven stories. And, um, and we cut the number of units in half. Um, so in response to your, qu your question or the, the, twi the tweet, uh, we actually are very much in compliance with the new city master plan and the comprehensive zoning ordinance that has yet to be passed. Uh, so we, while we're higher than the current zoning, uh, we are not exceeding what's proposed in the coming. So, at, but we, we had the option now and we needed to move on the property now and we needed that uh, conditional use permit and zoning change in order to do that. But had we started this a year from now, we would have been fully in compliance and, and uh, been able to get a building permit without any of the public hearings or the uh, conditional use permit application we've had to go through. There's always a certain amount of controversy in what you, what you folks do. Marcel Wisnia, Angelo Byrne, there's a lot of conversation in New Orleans these days about how the city is changing. While we all talk about it, you are both in the forefront of actually making some of these major changes. It's been an education and a pleasure meeting both of you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me on Out to Lunch today. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Enjoyed it a lot. I my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Angelo Byrne, president of Perez, and Marcel Wisnia, president of Wisnia Architecture and Development. To find out more about Angela and Marcel's various and varied architectural and development projects, follow the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. The show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical Producer is Eric Merle, the often clairvoyant Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can listen to the show as a podcast. You can listen to it past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch Around the Table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, and Luba Workers Comp.